Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. If you suffer from ailments like asthma and allergies, you know how difficult it can be to manage your symptoms in everyday life. While there have been advancements in the medical and pharmaceutical fields, many people would prefer never having their conditions aggravated in the first place. Today, we're sitting down with the CEO and founder of the Daily Breath app that seeks to serve as a warning system for people to manage and even avoid their triggers that can make them sick. And in the worst cases, send them to the emergency room. We'll talk about his motivation behind this innovative application and his future plans to help keep people well. Thank you for joining us, Eric, on the Weather Geeks podcast. Hi. Thank you, Marshall, for uh, having me uh, as a uh, podcast participant on uh, Weather Geeks. Well, it's awesome. By the way, is your name pronounced Eric Kloss? Kloss. Close. Correct. Okay. And Eric, let me just give you a little bit about Eric and his background. He's the CEO and founder, uh, founder and innovator of Daily Breath. He has a BA in political science from Purdue University uh, and coursework towards a master's in international transactions at George Mason University. He also has several appointments within the healthcare and IT industry throughout his career. Now, normally, Eric, when I start the podcast, I ask the guest, how did you become a weather geek? But in this case, I don't know if that applies. Maybe you are a hidden weather geek. I don't know. But how did you get into your field in general? And if you are a weather geek, please share that with us as well. Sure. Actually, I, I am a weather geek. I think I started tracking hurricanes like when I was a young kid. But um, and I have a family history. Uh, my uh, grandfather um, uh, was a meteorologist in the Air Force. He was actually uh, on B-17s over in Europe. And so he uh uh, probably helped a little bit with the weather forecasting. Um, but uh, the way I got involved in this is I've been in health IT for about 25 to 30 years. Um, and what I've uh, encountered is a lot of healthcare products, IT products, so EI, electronic health records and different things like that. So I had a background in health IT, and then you had digital health emerging. So I learned a lot about um, digital health technology. And um, really, it was just a you know spark of a I call it a light bulb moment. Um, my sister uh, has rheumatoid arthritis, and she was uh, having a flare up one morning. She was living with us at the time, and um, she came down and said, "You know, Eric, you ought to develop a mobile app that would tell me when my RA is going to flare up." And that was based on kind of her perception that it was barometric pressure or humidity or precipitation that was causing her to have a flare up. And so for me, it was that light bulb moment, boy, environmental factors as a determinant of health. And so it started kind of a research journey where I kind of investigated, you know, the various conditions that were impacted by the weather and the environment. And that ultimately came, uh, brought me to respiratory health because I felt that was the most impactful, both on uh, individuals personally, as well as on the system at large with, you know, ER visits and inpatient hospital stays and even deaths due to asthma attacks. So um, that's how I kind of got involved in it. Um, but there is a s- story about um, how I was kind of inspired uh, and why I'm so passionate about um, the topic. About uh, three months before I launched my first uh, 
uh, MVP, kind of a prototype in the uh, App Store. Um, I read an article um, out of Iowa um, about a 15-year-old girl um, who was on a summer vacation. Um, She's actually from Nebraska. They were going to Iowa, going to visit an amusement park. And the article said, doctors trying to pinpoint the cause of an asthma attack. Um, uh, The girl was in the ICU. And so the story went on to talk about how she had been out during the day at this amusement park and it was hot, it was humid, certain amount of pollution, maybe ozone, PM 2.5 particulates out in Iowa, you might experience fertilizer and pesticides, all these different types of variables. But ultimately, they had a great day at the park. They went home, had some dinner on the way home or back to the hotel. And then uh, at the hotel, they decided to just do a normal thing, which is going down to the pool, the hotel pool. And down at the pool, she experienced uh, chlorine. And chlorine can be a toxic chemical um, and can be a trigger. And so ultimately, she had a attack at that time. And... um, She was down for 20 minutes, and obviously the impact was traumatic. She did not die. Um, But uh, it struck me, it kind of, I have to say, it actually got me mad because here was an article saying, oh, we need to pinpoint triggers. And I was like, well, should we be pinpointing triggers before people have asthma attacks? Right. I mean, isn't that how we should approach this topic? So that's really what's inspired me. If you look at some of my marketing, it talks about daily breath, pinpoint your asthma triggers. Right. And so that's really what has inspired me, because we really can reduce. um, There's a statistic I use. Thirty thousand asthma attacks occur every day in the United States. Of those five thousand lead to ER visits. Because people don't know how to get their breathing under control, either with rescue inhalers because they use them incorrectly. Um, and then, you know, of those, you know, uh, 20% of those 5,000 actually are long-term inpatient hospital states where they have to stay in the hospital to recover, recover breathing rhythm. Um, and then obviously 10,000, 10 people a day lose their lives, at least in the U.S. It's a larger number around the world. So that's part of the reason I've been involved in this. Yeah, and you know, you're speaking my language because I've actually been involved in some research at the University of Georgia with my colleague, Dr. Andy Grunstein, who's been on the podcast talking about his work and our work on thunderstorm asthma. Uh, this idea that thunderstorms can trigger asthma. It's really counterintuitive to people uh, that right. there may be some kind of relationships. And so I'm, I'm sure you're aware of some of that research that my colleague Andy and his folks have been doing at Georgia. Um, you, I, I was looking a little bit at your background. I mean, you've been the director of IT for the House Committee on Veteran Affairs. You've been director of business development, a couple of companies. Uh, you, you've had a really interesting and diverse career and at the intersection, I would say, between IT and healthcare. And so it's really interesting to hear your story of kind of how you sort of focus this app in the area of respiratory and cardiovascular health. Um, I, you know, I've got a question here, and this one is one that, you know, my, one of my producers really wanted the this question answered. Now, uh, pharmaceutical companies treat the symptoms that people experience um, but you're actually helping to prevent. And I think you mentioned this idea of getting ahead. And I think meteorologists, that's kind of our goal as well. 
Um, you know, when we're making forecasts, when we're developing our weather models and various satellite and radars, the whole point is to warn people ahead of time. And so it's certainly appropriate um, to, to, you know, really sort of think about how you're approaching the app. Um, you know, is this something or are, are are, is this sort of new territory in the health and IT world? Are you, I mean, it seems to me that this is really groundbreaking in a way. Put this in the context of where your app fits in, in the space of others. Sure. And, and I think that that's where I've um, had some evolution in the sense that, as I discussed, I kind of interface with electronic health records, right? And the orientation towards a hospital or physician-based system, right, that is focused on sickness and treatment, right, um, and a fee-for-service model. So when I look at all of those different types of trends and then say, okay, well, wait a second, what, what can we do upstream, right? There's a great book that I've read from Dan Heath called Upstream, which is basically how can we look at the upstream and look at all the activities that you can do upstream to prevent negative health outcomes, asthma attacks, right? So I actually work back from the asthma attack. And when I look at the gaps in allergy and asthma care, I start from that point. And so if you look at rescue inhaler use, okay, first of all, there's an over-reliance on rescue inhalers or relief inhalers, right? Um, and not only that, but 70% of rescue inhaler usage may be incorrect usage. So they're not even getting the medication into their lungs when they actually need it most. So if you start working back from those um, that, that point, asthma attack, and say, what are the ways that we can actually inform the, the, the person, the individual? So I call it a movement in self-care self-care movement, right? And so, and, and COVID is perfect for this. We realize, wait a second, we can't go to the doctor. What are the things we can do in our home to manage our condition better, right? Manage asthma better. And so we have to work upstream. I'll give you an example of a partnership I recently did. Um, I'll actually be announcing a press release tomorrow, the uh, July 1st, um, but it's with a uh, nasal rinse company, okay? It's Neosinus Health. Um, and they have a nasal rinse kit and what they're basically saying is, you know, really, if you have allergies or asthma, you might want to consider doing nasal rinsing on a daily basis. Because what does nasal rinsing do? Well, it eliminates the allergens and irritants that are already in your nose, right? And so if you encounter those new allergens or irritants when you go outside today, at least you've started from a baseline where you've got a clear nasal cavity, right? So these are the types of principles that when you carry that all the way through, you're like, okay, maybe we can attack these 30,000 asthma attacks that occur every day, right? That's the target. And if we do that, then you're going to reduce the ER visits, you're going to reduce the inpatient hospital stays and reduce deaths, right? So that's the way I approach the issue. And I want to empower. Uh, we use the term patient engagement, but if this is about patient empowerment. How do we empower the individual and the caregiver, right? Uh, one of the things I constantly use is this domain, and this applies to weather to a certain extent with, with, uh, with health impacts. It's about fear, uncertainty, and doubt, okay? And I look at it as, you know, a mother of an asthmatic child fears the unintended consequences of her child experiencing an exposure, right? Um, and there's a certain amount of uncertainty. There's been no tools that are available to, to tell me, well, what are the risks associated with the outdoor variables, let alone the indoor variables, right? Air quality, right? 
So that's the thing that you're trying to do is empower the caregiver, empower the patient to take a proactive approach to what I call trigger management. So how do you do that? Trigger education, trigger awareness, trigger reduction, and trigger avoidance. And when we come back from this break, I want to talk about what some of those environmental and weather factors are that may be in the app. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back, excuse me, on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Eric Close about his Daily Breath app. And you've heard some of the discussion. So, Eric, break down for us. You know, this is Weather Geeks. So break down for us some of the environmental or weather-related factors that you've discovered throughout your work that influences upper respiratory and perhaps cardiovascular-related health issues. Sure. Well, I'd like to break them into two buckets because the second bucket is one that really emerged over the last several years. But the first bucket is it's just your daily weather and environmental conditions. Okay, and I think that's important to focus on. So you have air pollution. Now, it's not just air pollution. There's PM 2.5. There's ozone. There's let's 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 pause right there. I mean, you and I know what PM 2.5 is, uh, but explain to the listeners that may be kind of peeking in on this podcast. What do you mean when you say PM 2.5? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you have things like pollen spores. You have things like um, uh, dust, sand, and there's different particulates. And so they're measured by size. And so basically 2.5 is uh, fairly granular. It's like 2.5 millimeters. Okay. And uh, 10.0 is a bit. I think it's actually, is it millimeters or microns? I thought it was microns. Microns. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, uh, So, so very, very small, but very easily inhalable. Okay. And that's the key, right? Some of these um, particulates can be inhaled into your lungs and that's what causes airway inflammation. And that's what may precipitate an asthma attack. Okay. And so that's problematic. So I discussed uh, air pollution. Then you have pollen. Okay. And pollen, tree, uh, grass, weed pollen, mold, is another uh, type of spore. Um, There's even uh, spores that are uh, cast off by algae blooms, okay? Um, So there's a whole range of things that are part of the mix when you go outside. Now, one of the things interesting about Daily Breath is there's a lot of these uh, air quality apps, pollen apps, those kinds of things. And what they do is they identify each of these um, uh, exposures in isolation. What I realize is with Daily Breath, you go out and you experience the environment in kind of in total, right? And so what we really want to try to do is start to track the confluence or the convergence of all of these variables, right? And determine, well, what is a person's individual sensitivity to those things? That's why I use this term daily breath forecast, because if you have respiratory conditions or a health condition, don't you want to know specifically how it's going to impact you? So that's the key is that convergence or that's why we created what we call the daily breath risk index. So if you track individual symptoms as they experience them, 
then maybe you can develop this personalized risk index for them. Now, the second part is a different thing, which is suddenly about three years ago, there were these extreme weather events. And what they were highlighting was not just the life and property issue of an extreme weather event, but it was what are the residual impacts? So I think it started with Houston. And I think the thing that I recognized there was there was a massive amount of flooding. And so people were out of their homes for two or three weeks, right? And then they went back into their homes and they experienced homes with mold, okay? Well, if you have a child with asthma who goes back into this home and, you know, you're just deciding to, hey, you know, we're going to try to clean out the house or whatever, right? If someone with asthma goes into that type of home with that type of mold presence, that's not a good environment for that type of person, okay? So that was one example. And then about two years ago, you started having this prevalence of wildfires, so wildfire smoke is a very unknown variable. We know it impacts um, people with uh, vulner vulnerable populations, people with respiratory conditions, cardiovascular, right? Um, but we don't know really the difference between what's immediately threatening, like surface smoke, and what's maybe impactful from a different perspective, like atmospheric smoke. So one of the features we're building into daily breath is kind of a layover that says, Here's dynamically where these different type of smoke things are going. And we've got a partner, Monarch Weather, that's helping us with the weather kind of ma uh, mapping for that. Um, but what it's trying to do is bridge this universe of weather data and health, right? And, and trying to get all of this robust information that we have via you know, data from satellites and, and figure out a way that how can we translate that to the user? A lot of times what I'll talk about is the power of pull. We live in a really transformative world right now. And what's going on is there's been a model that kind of distributes information. And, and there's a purpose for that. You have to distribute information to the masses when you're trying to get them to respond, right? But at the same time, there's this uh, issue of pull. Am I an individual? And if I'm an individual, can I pull information and data to me that's relevant to me? relevant to my condition, right? And so the power of daily breath and, and a platform that collects this information, but also then collects information from the patient, is that you now have this robust platform that's correlating environmental insights with health, right? And that's the key. And, and you mentioned I'm, I'm gonna, I, something perked up when I heard you say that you are working with a meteorologist. So do you just have a friend that's a meteorologist or are you contracting with a company? Or I mean, I'm curious about the sort of meteorological connection to the company. Well, I think this has been a discovery for me. I started going to allergy and asthma specialist conferences about three years ago, and I thought that was the core constituency. But as we've kind of discussed, um, that's a treatment paradigm, right? And that's a different paradigm. So um, I'm not going to say there was resistance within that community. They kind of got what I was doing. But again, it was a different um, audience. And so what I realized as these weather events were occurring was, whoa, the meteorological community gets this, right? They get it. And not only that, at a local level, every meteorologist is kind of vested in what's going in in, lo in the local community. Yeah, so they talk very, about pollen counts all of the time on their on their weathercast, at least the TV meteorologists. Exactly. And so that's where I kind of recognize what a great audience for this. And I was just doing research for a, you know, a weather partner um, came across Monarch Weather. Obviously, they uh, have two founders who are, uh, you know, meteorologists uh, profiled in the past. 
We know them very well. They're you know, one of the founders as a former Weather Channel uh, colleague. Ex- exactly. So, so I think, um, and, and so what I've learned now is there's a lot of different types of people out there, remote sensing experts, there's atmospheric scientists and everything else. But weather meteorologists have a different perspective on weather and also environmental conditions. And when you merge those two together, it becomes pretty powerful. So in part, one of the reasons I was looking for monarch weather was I was looking for a partner that could translate what I want, what I wanted onto my app, right? And that was dynamic wildfire smoke information. We have some unique features in this app that I think with the wildfire smoke are con- going to convey to a person that's literally 500 miles downstream or quote downwind of the smoke that they may still be at risk, right? Now with this platform, not only will we be able to inform risk ahead of time, but we'll also be able to capture, are you having an asthma symptom when you're in this field of smoke, right? A smoke plume or something like that. So we're going to be able to begin to correlate hey, maybe people are really experiencing asthma attacks or increased asthma attacks because of wildfire smoke, even atmospheric smoke, right? That may be carried hundreds or thousands of miles and then deposited in the form of some type of precipitation. And that's the interesting thing is the weather. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm speaking with Eric Close about a fascinating sort of intersection between weather, atmospheric processes, and your health, particularly upper respiratory health. And again, I mentioned earlier that, I mean, I've been involved in some research with a colleague on thunderstorm asthma. So, you know, we were looking at how the aeroallergens from the thunderstorms and the outflow boundaries disperse and possibly even lightning in the generation of nitrous oxides and NOx can exacerbate uh, asthma. And so, uh, you know, I, I keep coming back to this event, I believe in Australia, I think it was Melbourne, as I recall, a couple of years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with that event, but several people died from what they think was a thunderstorm asthma event. And so uh, I, I, I appreciate that you are thinking carefully about this problem. Um, you know, we're still emerging uh, from the global pandemic with COVID and people also have underlying health issues like asthma and other lung ailments. Um, have you noticed anything within your app in this regard as it relates to its use for weather or even COVID? I mean, just tell us about sort of the trends in your app usage and what you've noticed about statistics in this last year. Yeah, well, I think the, the big thing I would say is so, you know, obviously you're going to learn greater insights as you develop the, the platform larger and larger. And, you know, my goal is to have the largest data platform for environmental insights around the world. And one of the things I have noticed is, um, and I'll just give you a sense of kind of the scope. I, I really think sometimes we're very focused on the U.S. market. And there are 50 million people with allergy and asthma, maybe more, upwards of 60 million. But again, this is global. And allergies are glo- like 
allergies, there's a billion people that have allergies around the world, okay? There's maybe 400 million that have actual asthma, okay? But one of the things I did want to share was, you know, what happened was I launched the app. I can see that downloads are occurring around the world. But more importantly, there's a feature within the app that's called the Daily Breath Community Map. And what that allows an individual to do is when you record your own personal symptom, you can track it on a map, your last five symptoms, where did that, that occur? But it also allows uh, it to populate on a community-wide map. So a view of the entire world is now available on Daily Breath, where anyone in the world who has recorded a flare-up can be seen visibly, okay? There's different color pins for whether it's asthma, allergic asthma, or uh, allergies. But what I've noticed is now the major urban centers in many countries that you and I will know have bad pollution. You know, New Delhi, India, Jakarta, Indonesia, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. I, I can go down countless places where there's lots of uh, flare-ups being recorded in those communities. And this is kind of a validation within those areas that obviously pollution is having an impact. And they know that. But again, this is an opportunity at a, at a community level for communities to begin to understand where are people experiencing symptoms. You had a discussion earlier where you were talking about, you know, the physical properties of highways and traffic and stuff like that. Well, by tracking flare-ups on a community map, you may be able to determine that, yes, indeed, there are more asthma flare-ups near a, near a traffic corridor or maybe by an industrial plant or various things like that. And so that's what I think the power of the app, I call that crowd sensing, right? It's crowdsourcing the flare-up, but you're crowd sensing. Oh, where is there a risk in my community? Oh, there's a lot of flare-ups over there, right? Or that location. Um, again, you want to understand these things at a, at a granular level. The one thing I was kind of surprised, and we can get into this, Marshall, but I was Surprised when I got to the market because I thought all this air quality data and pollen data was very granular. And I was surprised to find that, no, it's not very granular. There's measurement devices, but they're distributed like, you know, um, very uh, dispersed, right? So you're not getting like within a five, uh, you know, or a mile radius of what's the air quality in my area, right? You're getting a modeling, you know, approach, which is fine. Again, that's good. You have to start somewhere. But at the end of the day, if I'm going to deliver personalized environmental insights, I want the most granular information possible. And through various measurement devices, even wearable measurement devices, ultimately we'll be able to have this very granular, very personal information around your, uh, about your exposures. Yeah. And you, you said something that you know, as we're taping this, it's June 30th, and we just saw ridiculous heat in the Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, places like Portland and parts of Vancouver and Seattle were just shattering their heat records. And oftentimes, heat, extreme heat, is actually correlated with poor air quality, uh, high ozone, and so forth. And then that leads to drying conditions, at least to wildfires and the air quality and the smoke issues. So. You know, it, it, you know, as a as an atmospheric scientist myself, I think about meteorology, but I also think about climate variability and climate change and all of these things and how they can be related. So I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on some of the climate variability and even something you mentioned as we've talked about environmental justice issues on this podcast. There are certain communities that are going to be predisposed for some of these upper respiratory and other health conditions because of their socioeconomic status, where they live 
perhaps right. even their race and so forth. So, I mean, you know, just give us your thoughts generally on climate variability, environmental risk, people who are most vulnerable and, and how your app may be able to help. Well, I'd like to hit on uh, one thing first about heat, because I think, you know, one of the things we always talk about is weather. OK, and I think one of the reasons there's a challenge is sometimes people don't understand what's the impact of heat on ozone and particulates and stuff like that. Well, heat uh, creates a more dense environment for those things, you know, and so that can become more problematic. You've, you've heard of the term smog, right? Well, smog is a phenomena of sunlight, heat and ozone, right? So again, I think that's an important thing for people to recognize. The second thing, so yes, climate variability is absolutely an issue. And you know, the, the interesting challenge is that, like I said, I think at a, at a personal level, most people don't understand how certain exposures imp impact them generally. In a changing climate, that becomes even more of an imperative for them to understand that, right? And that's what we're trying to work towards is, okay, in a changing climate, and, you know, and a lot of this is we don't know what we don't know, right? I mean, what is the intersection of increased nitric oxide with increased pollen, whether it's increased pollen spores or whether it's increased pollen intensity, like the allergenicity of a particular pollen? And so we, we don't even really know these things. That's why you were discussing research. There's massive amounts of research starting. And certainly, I believe a tool like Daily Breath can support a lot of this research. And so that's that's what I'm hoping it becomes a research platform. Um, but I, I think that that's where we can learn a lot more and we can begin to identify how to approach certain issues. I hear a lot about let's reduce pollution and it's a global issue, but you act on it locally. If we have a Daily Breath community flare up map that can identify areas where it's very polluted, can we not decide there are opportunities for mitigation here where we can you know, do something like tree planting, right? Where we can actually address an issue where we may be able to clean the air. There's a, a company that has a slogan, repair the air, right? I mean, great, great slogan, repair the air, right? Is there an opportunity to do that? And I think that's how we need to begin to approach these issues. Yes, at a policy level, we need to attack it as a global issue. Right. But at a local level, how do you reduce asthma attacks in your community? Right. That becomes the real issue. And I, and I want to just give a shout out to Eric Kloss for actually debunking something without people. He might not realize that he debunked it, but a lot of people think smoke, uh, smog is just smoke and fog. You know, I think that's just what people have just kind of collectively grown up thinking. But in fact, as you correctly noted, uh, smog. Yeah, particularly my, my photochemical smog is this sort of cooked up soup of secondary, I mean, of, of pollutants uh, sort of interacted on by the sun. That's where the photochemical and causing set of chemical reactions that produces uh, smog and so forth. So, you know, there is a old school version of smog that was smoke and fog, but sort of right. when you hear photochemical smog these days and code red and so forth, it really is this sort of cooked up pollution by the sun and these chemical reactions. So thank you for bringing that up. Sure. This has been a fascinating discussion, but I'm out of time, Eric. Amazingly, tell us where you can get the app. Uh, where, where can people find you on social media and where can they find the app? Yeah, sh uh, sure. Uh, so Daily Breath uh, is uh, Daily Breath-Allergy and Asthma in the App Store, uh, or you can get it on Google Play. 
Um, and uh, we have a free version. We have a premium version. Um, we all will have a feature coming up uh, that's an in-app purchase uh, called uh, Show, which is the smoke heat map overlay for wildfires. Uh, so Daily Brush Show uh, will be in the App Store and uh, Google Play as well. Um, and dailybreathforecast.com is the website, and it has a lot of information about these gaps in allergy and asthma care and some of the things that we've been discussing here, as well as, um, as I said, the Daily Breath Risk Index is evidence-based. So there was an initial uh, study uh, done, and we have over 700 uh, literature sources that we reviewed, and then uh, some of those are actually documented on the website. So, I, you know, again, I wanted this to be grounded in scientists. Science. So I actually went to a climate scientist in Asheville, North Carolina. She did this literature review and came up with some of these formulations for the initial daily breath risk index. Um, so uh, that's where you can uh, visit the website, learn a little bit more about daily breath. But go to the uh, go to the app store. Go to the uh, get it on Google Play. Uh, download the app. Uh, you have to download, register, and then kind of start working with the app. And uh, there's a lot of community features like a friends list. There's a discussion board. So I do want to aggregate people. I want people to become members of the Daily Breath community, right? And then we're sharing this asthma journey, right? We're sharing where our flare-ups are. We're sharing information about, hey, I didn't really know this, but, you know, there's an algae bloom nearby and I'm, I'm having some asthma symptoms, right? You know, we're beginning to build some rich content around research, right? Almost, almost crowdsourcing that research based on people's observations, well, this is amazing, but I, I, I've got to end it here. But before I do, it's time for the Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Elizabeth Davies. Elizabeth is a student who loves severe weather and tornadoes, and she has a dream of one day being a meteorologist, just like her idol, Jim Cantori. She loves to talk about anything weather-related, and if you ask her, she would probably tell you the story about how she was born right after Hurricane Katrina. Thanks for being a fan of the podcast, Elizabeth, and best of luck in your future career. Now, if you know someone you'd like to nominate as a Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Eric, this has been fascinating, and I'm, I'm going to go check out your app as soon as we finish the taping because I'm fascinated by it. And thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Terrific. Thank you, Marshall, for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to future collaborations and discussions. Absolutely. And thank you all for collaborating with us with your ears by listening to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time.